good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to our November Empower panel. It takes a village. Um, this is one that's very near and dear to my heart, and I'm very excited today to have this discussion with all of you. Um, so thank you very much for joining. We are missing one of our panelists. We have been having some technical difficulty. So um, as soon as we get started here, I'm going to get to work on that with you, Marlene. Um, so I'll give you a call. Um, but first, uh, if you have never attended one of our Empower panels before, this is our attempt as 9 Wonder Women to get some new perspectives and topics out there. We tend to pick topics that aren't talked about nearly enough. And then we gather together as a panel of women um, from different backgrounds and diverse parts of the country and different perspectives. And we just have a chat about these topics and specifically how they relate to 911, how we can relate to each other and how we can bring new perspectives to each other. So everybody who is here live with us, thank you for being live. Please feel free to comment in the comment section at any time, throw out questions, talk to each other. Um, if you are listening to us on our um, podcast, so um, after probably a day or two after this live broadcast, we will um, be available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Um, so thank you. If you are listening later, we will be addressing people in the comments, but we'll try to remember to read those comments out loud since you cannot see them. This recording will also be available on our YouTube channel um, probably later on today. So uh, once I am done talking, I will put all of those links here in the chat so you can all um, go find us and you can find every other Empower panel that we've done. We've been doing this for what, two years, Sam? Yes, it's yes. two years now. Years, we have a ton of topics. We do one almost every month. Um, so you can go back and look. Also, we welcome your feedback, any feedback that you have and any ideas that you have for future panels as well. So thank you very much. I am going to go away. I'm going to introduce Samantha Hawkins, who is our moderator today and OG panelist. <laughs> so thank you, Sam. And I'll get to work on, on getting Marlene. But I'll be here if, if y'all need anything at all. Appreciate you, Sarah. And of course, again, I have the lucky role here and the easiest getting to moderate this exciting panel, panel that is overdue, largely overdue. I definitely want the two of y'all, we've got our third panelist coming to introduce yourselves. I know the incredible uh, leaders that you are in this industry and what y'all do, but please introduce yourself to our audience. Chris, starting with you, tell us about yourself, your title, please. And this is about motherhood. How many kids you've got? Okay. <laughs> um, my name is Chris Nichols. I am a communications training officer at NRV 911, which is a consolidated center in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. I have been doing this February is my nine-year anniversary in public safety and dispatch, and I've been a trainer almost five years. Um, I celebrate my fifth wedding anniversary next year with my husband. We've been together a little bit longer than that, and I have a nine-year-old stepdaughter that I've been in her life for a very long time. I have a three-year-old daughter, and I am currently eight months pregnant with our third daughter. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is incredible. And now, Keely, please introduce yourself to us again. Uh, by the way, both these incredible uh, women, have, are, they are beginning, they're pre basically OG panelists as well. Uh, they've been here before. Keely, you've been here several times on this stage. Please introduce yourself again to our community. Hello, everyone. Um, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Keely Heyman. I'm the executive director at Mountain Valley Emergency Communication Center, which is the central part of New Jersey, and we cover about four agencies currently. And I have been, I'm coming into my 25th year in the 911 Center and my 27th year in public safety in various roles from EMS to uh, Office of Emergency Management. 
I am a mother to a currently nine-year-old who is homesick today. So this just put, it kind of put things in perspective about how it does take a village in order for us to do the roles that we, we have. Um, so he's in the back room and I apologize if he appears on screen at some point today. Um, but I do have three stepchildren as well. I'm only recently married. Uh, St. Patrick's Day of this last year, I got married to my now husband and he brought three um, mostly adult children with him. One of them just got married. The other one is currently in college and the other one is still in high school. So. That is awesome. That is awesome. Setting the tone early and quickly into this amazing panel. So let's go ahead and let's start off with the title of this is It Takes a Village. And we're talking about juggling, obviously, what y'all do, juggling the titles and the positions and the role that you have in a very chaotic profession where you're basically the chaos coordinators with being a mother. So let's go ahead and lay off the bat for those who are ignorant, including myself, who is not a mom yet. Why is it different? You know, because, you know, someone like me, I'm like, well, I've got a full-time job, part-time job, side hustle. Why is it in a whole different level what y'all do being a mom in 911? Starting with you, Chris, and then we'll uh, go with you, Keely. Well, it's so hard because, you know, just because we're moms doesn't mean we have it harder than other people or that we have it more than other people. It's just completely different. Cause I saw something the other day. It did make me smile where it was talking about some people, younger women in business can get discriminated because they don't have families or they don't have little children. And I saw something, it just made me smile where it was like, you could be a young woman and a mother and still have a family to take care of. So yeah. I do want to put that one out there because I remember the difference between being young and coming into dispatch way before I had kids. And there was that weird imbalance that it seemed like moms only got special treatment or moms only got the preference, like, oh, they get preferred days off of that because they have children. So I do remember having that feeling of slight resentment. Um, but then I became a stepmom, which is a whole completely different ballpark that I was trying to navigate. I was a and then I became a mother. And it's just one of those jobs. It really just doesn't stop. Like with dispatching, you can kind of, okay, my shift's over. Put my headset down and I'm walking out the door. Um, but momming doesn't stop ever. You know, I'm here and I'm still a mom. I go home and I'm still a mom. On days I'm sick, I'm still a mom. So it's just kind of a never-ending, it, it just does not stop. Oh my gosh. I like how you put that. Like, it's not just about harder or whatever. It's, it's different. It's just different. It's that, a different perspective. That is incredible. That's incredible. Erica, I, I want to point out in the, in the chat, Erica said that she goes to alert to work, to relax from her three girls. And <laughs> I, I like mean, <laughs> that, that, that right there. But uh, also Amy, uh, uh, pointed out something quickly one us. he said that I feel like us moms have extremely high expectations for ourselves and we take on way more than we should because of the mom wife guilt Amy don't you're jumping ahead because you're so <laughs> right and that is something we're going to touch on but before we get to that Keely going with you what makes it different what why is it different momming in 911 I feel like it's an additional layer we have this um, we already have a really chaotic job, right? Like we know that we, and a lot of us started our careers before we were moms. So we were sort of in this, you know, as Chris said, in this, like, we remember those days of coming in and sort of seeing like the, well, why are they getting Christmas off? Why do I? And, and to be fair, I feel like a lot of us, and maybe I'm just speaking for my center, but I feel like a lot of us at the time, we did take those holidays so that we, the, the parents that were already in the center mm -hmm. could spend those days with their children, but it was frustrating because, oh, hey. <laughs> uh, so we were we were always in that position where it was um, it was OK in the beginning. And then you become that parent. And now you you understand that this goes far beyond just mm -hmm. the work component, because now you've got this little life that's dependent on you. And now you're navigating all of these additional layers. So you want to be the good employee. And you want to be the good wife or, or husband even because this is not unique to just women when it comes to the parenting aspect, right? Like mm. you want to be the good mother. You want to be the good person. And you want to make sure you show up for your job because 
there is this additional component that happens, especially in a 911 center where you're sort of in a male dominated world of law enforcement and public safety. And then you add on this, I'm a mom in public safety and I need to be able to be available to them and be a, um, on call this 24 seven environment that we're in. But how do we navigate that when now I've got this human at home that I really can't leave alone for at least the first 10 to 12 hour, uh, years of their lives, but I still need to make myself available to them and show mm-hmm. them that I'm still a good employee so that I don't get the judgment from my coworkers and from my first res- field responders. You know, like wow. it's really, it's, it's an additional challenge that now we add to the already crux of our chaotic lives. It's, it's just really hard. That is. So I, I love that as well. Chris saying it's just different. It's a different thing. It's a different level. And Keely, how you put that, that it's it's an additional challenge. And you didn't even specifically mention, I mean, I know you introduced yourself, but the fact that you are literally the director of your own agency. So you are running the show and running mm-hmm. the center and doing all the things and running out. Like that is, it's it's a challenge on top of a challenge. You're, you're so right. And go ahead. Um, so... Miss Marlene Velasquez, our third panelist, glad to have you on board. We just kind of got started. Uh, first of all, before I kind of address the same question with you, if you would please introduce yourself, first time panelist on this amazing virtual stage for our 911 Women community, 911 men and women, uh, if you would introduce yourself, uh, your title, your position, the agency you're with, and how many kids you have. Can you hear me? Yes, hear you perfectly, oh, that's clear. Good. Um, I'm having a really hard time hearing you, but I'm trying the best that I can. Okay. Um, I've been at my center, I'm at Westcom for four years now, but before this, I started dispatching in 2005. So I've been doing this for almost 17 years now, almost 18. I have one child, he's 16 years old, but I started, um, I was already in dispatch by the time I had him. That is awesome. And the question that uh, Chris and Keely just tackled, and I'd love Marlene to get your take as well, is just setting the tone early. What is what is different about being a mom at 911? You know, as opposed to just simply someone like me, it's like, well, I've got a full time job and a part time job. And, a, you know, what is the different in, in the difference in that challenge of being a mom and also being in this industry where we're already chaos coordinators, but adding that additional challenge, you know, as Keely puts it. Um, being a mom, what is different that you say uh, about it? Sorry, I can barely hear you. So you're asking what's the difference? Yes. What what makes it different being a mom in this industry that you feel that, you know, makes um, that I think what, what think what makes it different, um, honestly, is the amount of workload um, and the the hours, um, the, a lot of the sacrifices that parents make, a lot of especially moms. Um, It's a lot of, we, I feel like um, parents make more sacrifices. That's a, that is a definitely a big thing there. So uh, the different, it's a different level, it's additional challenge and definitely the sacrifices that come with this as well. So I'm going to circle back to you, Chris, before we move on. So the next thing kind of want to tackle is this, Uh, in, in this profession, being a mom and everything. There's obviously, as you said, you know, there's the priorities you have at home, the priorities you have at work. What keeps you passionate? What keeps you committed? What keeps you trying to do it all? You can't do it all. You can't manage right. it all. But how do you manage with what you have and do the best with what you've got? What is your why in juggling all the things that you juggle? So I remember um, a couple years ago, right? Maybe about two years ago when I really started getting very involved with the 911 to women and things like that, maybe mm-hmm. three, I can't remember, but um, I was just getting to the point where I was trying to do everything. And my husband gave me some really good advice when he said, there comes a time where you're just doing something to do something and you really need to reevaluate for yourself. Is this helping me? And is this going to help my long-term goals or just make myself happy? And it really stuck with me because I am a people pleaser. I don't like saying no. But even though, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, and I have so many people supporting me when it comes to my husband being super supportive, 
and both grandmas on either side are primary childcare. And I'm very lucky that I have both women on both sides to help me. I really had to start learning what my no's and my yeses were Mm. because I would just say yes to absolutely everything. And then I realized like, I can't do that. I have to figure out what's important to me and I have to learn. No, I don't. This sounds really fun, but I don't have the energy to do this right now. Or this sounds like a really cool opportunity, but I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, Or, you know, I'd really like this day off because I just need to spend more time with my daughters or do this, that, and the other. And I am a recovering people pleaser. I feel like I'm doing a really hard job, like a really hard, uh, hard job all over, but learning just to kind of stand up for myself and knowing that it's okay if you say no a couple times, because you're not going to have it all. You're going to have all for you. If that Mm. makes sense, you need to like, Mm. you can't have it all, but you can have all of it to yourself with what you want to have for yourself. If that makes sense. Oh my gosh. I love that. I absolutely (laughs) love that. Keely, go ahead, uh, carry it, carry that. And now, I mean, you, you know, in the leadership role that you are, how do you, how do you possibly prioritize? How do you say no (laughs) or not try to please everyone all the time, even in your role, being mom and also being the head of the center that you're head of? How do you do that? Oh, there's so many questions in that. And I don't know if I've got, the, I, I don't know if I've got enough time to cover all of it. Um, so I think to Chris's point, it's that the boundary, creating the boundary for yourself and where you're comfortable sitting. Um, a couple years back, there you go. <laughs> a couple years back, I, um, I had read this quote and it talked about uh, people come in and out of your lives uh, like the tides. And not everybody's meant to be in it for the duration and you need to let them break. Um, tattoo. Uh, and it, it's, it's a really deep concept, but it really, I, when I read it, it connected with me on so many levels about how sometimes you're going to have to break that cord and it's okay to do that. It's okay to say no. It's okay to just, it, you know, back out of a situation that isn't going to serve us in the long term. Um, and that was a really hard thing, especially, and, and I feel like this is unique to a 911 center is we're so connected to our people and the communities that we serve, whether we think we are or not, we are because of our dedication and our coming in and the overtime hours that we work and the things that we do. And, and as the director, I do all of that. And then, you know, and then that, and then also worry about my people and it becomes, um, almost like a balancing act of where that priority is and which one you have to let break. Um, and, and without it becoming, um, a mental health issue for yourself, um, you have to really understand that, um, the center's still going to operate and it's okay for you to be able, like, we always figure it out. Like how many of us in this room are short staffed right now? Right? Like, we're all short staffed. There isn't uh, there isn't yeah. a center out there that yeah. couldn't stand to have a few more. Well, maybe maybe Melissa Alterio Center because they were fully staffed. Listen, my doctor, but but like that's a unique <laughs> that's a unique um, that's a unique <laughs> demographic there. But for the most part, like we always manage, we always figure it out. We manage to plug through and and work around uh, our experiences. And I feel like for us personally. Um, we have to know, yeah, the unicorn. <laughs> yes, Erica. Um, we have to know where that boundary is um, in order to be able to self-serve as well on top of being able, because if you can't do this, you can't give out, right? Like it's like you can't pour from the empty cup concept. It's the same thing in 911. It's the same thing as being a director is that if I can't fulfill myself, I can't help the people around me who need the help. I can't manage the center. And I certainly can't guide my people um, to get through whatever trauma they're getting through in their own personal lives, too. So it's really that boundary, letting letting things break away from you that don't serve a purpose anymore. Oh, that is that is awesome. And and, and the way you brought it home with that is it, so true. It's it's back to the, the cup, the empty cup. You can't pour out of an empty cup. And to, what I see in this profession already is. It's a lot of cups on empty that's continually pouring and expected to pour the same level. 
But then thinking about those of you who are moms in this as well, where you're already giving 120% of yourself and pouring that cup at home and then coming in and pouring that cup. But you're right. That's uh, that is a so important about the prioritizing and the learning to say no. And even if you are in recovery from a people pleaser, just making those steps, like <laughs> taking those steps and making those steps is so important. And Marlene, what is your take as well in that uh, about learning to say no? How for you personally, have you learned to say no, you know, and say, yeah, I, this is, this, I don't have to do this. I, I don't have to disagree to this. So how do you make that work? Um, I don't have a problem with saying no. If I can do it, I could do it. If I can't, I can't. I'll be completely honest. I don't want to like like mislead anybody, even management or anything, but I'm completely okay with saying no when I can't. And my son always comes first, so I never really had a problem with saying no. Can you work this extra shift now? <laughs> Just no. Yeah. no. <laughs> Not doing it. No. Can you do this? No. Marlene, if you ever plan on writing a book and sharing um some yeah. inside wisdom, just let me know. Just hit me up. <laughs> yeah, I'm very, I'm very like comfortable with who I am and with comfortable with my ability to do things. So I have no problem saying no. That's yeah. So Marlene, actually, I'm gonna stick with you and we'll do it, and then I'm gonna circle back around because. I, you know, when we were talking about this and, and brainstorming and getting this panel together, we talked about, from your perspective, something that you feel is so important, and it was having a support system, having a network, knowing mm -hmm. how to ask for help. So, uh, because that was definitely something that you, you said was so important, and kind of carrying it, you know, obviously you said about being comfortable already about prioritizing <laughs> and knowing when to say no, how to say no. But let's talk about asking for help. First of all, what does that look like? What does it sound like? And why, Marlene, is it so important for our moms in 911? Um, it's very important to ask the people around you for any type of help. Um, sometimes you just have to swallow your pride mm. and just ask. Um, I've, I'll ask my coworker, I'll ask a supervisor, I'll ask even if I can extend my lunch, I'll just ask. And I extend my lunch to go pick up my kids to drop them off where I need to go. Um, and I just just ask. That's all you really can say. And sometimes just giving somebody an explanation of why you need the help. Oh. And so much more pe people are willing to help you. And just honestly, a lot of negotiation happened during those times. A lot of like, hey, would you take my force and um, I'll take yours on next tomorrow? Or there's a lot of, um, hey, would you be able to take my son and drop him off at my mom's house for me and I'll get you lunch? You know, there was a lot of that going along throughout these years. Um, and let's be real, you just create some type of trauma bond with your co with your coworkers that you just get so comfortable with asking for anything. That, hmm. But yeah. That's, that is, that's good. And Chris, what do you say about that as well? Because I think that is so important about having a support system. But it's it's kind of easier said than done because you know how many times it's like ask for help, ask for help. Why didn't you just say you need help? You know, right? What what yeah. is holds us back? Why don't we ask for help? And for in particular, our moms in nine one one, what holds them back, and why is it so important? You think as well that they have that support system. I mean, it is hard because you come in and you don't want someone to think that you don't take the job as seriously or you don't, you're not cut out for it or you can't, <laughs> they can stay. <laughs> um, and it's, it is hard because, you know, I've had to learn, um, you know, to tell my, to ask my mom or to ask my mother-in-law or to tell my husband, hey, um, there's something really important I need to do at work. You know, is it, is it cool with everybody if I, I have to stay late for a staff meeting or if I have to do this or I have to do that. Um, and I'm, I'm very, very, very lucky on my end because my mom lives three blocks down the road and my mother-in-law is 30 minutes down the road. So I do have that very close that I'm extremely lucky to have. And I don't take that for granted. Um, but when it comes to support at work, I'm also very fortunate because my shift 
is predominantly women. We do have a couple guys on our shift, but so many of them are all moms and they're a little bit ahead in their journey than me. So if I come in on a day where, you know, I'm eight months pregnant, so I'm going a little slower than I, than I usually go. So it, it's kind of nice having that support of the other moms. Oh girl, we've been there. Don't worry about mm -hmm. it. Like just take a breather or whatever. Um, you know, or I come in and my toddler is have had a toddler night and I come in, I've got the puffy eyes and I haven't slept and I'm still eight months pregnant. They're like, Oh girl, it's fine. We got you. Don't worry. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, I'm really fortunate that I have a group of women that I work with that have been so supportive to me because maybe they haven't gone through it in a couple of years, but they do remember what it was like to go through it five, six, seven, even 10 years ago or whatever. So it's, yeah, I, I have to say in my, I'm very fortunate that I do have that support. And I feel so sorry for people who work in centers that don't have that or may not have bosses that are as accommodating or supervisors that are as accommodating. You know? mm -hmm. That is absolutely. And actually, um, Keely, about to get to you, but I want to ask a quick question of you, Chris, because mm -hmm. obviously you being a training professional and, you know, training is kind of like, that's, that's my passion right there. So yep. uh, fellow CTOs, when you recognize, I imagine sometimes you recognized in trainees, oh, they might need help. How do you, how do you broach that? Because I think that that's something that needs to be kind of taught more, expounded on mm -hmm. the importance of instilling self-care and wellness as early mm -hmm. into training in academics and on-the-job training, mm -hmm. not just, well, when you've been on the floor and released two years, now we'll talk about it because right. burnout's now setting in when you could have lost them already. So right. you know, how do you broach that as a trainer? It is very, it's one of those awkward conversations that people don't always want to have. Um, yeah. But I have... I have dealt with that with trainees in the past. And there's also that fine line of like you as a trainer don't want to cross the line because then maybe HR has to get involved or like your bosses have to get involved. So that's usually something I kind of bring up to my supervisor and then it kind of goes up the chain of, of management. And then they kind of tell me that it trickles back down. Hey, you need to offer X, Y, and Z to this person. And then if that's not working, then we'll meet up with them again and, and do whatever. Um, but I have had to, I've had, rec I have recognized issues in the past where I did need to have that kind of closed door meeting with them where you do offer those types of resources, but it's always with the help and the backing of my supervision because you do kind of cross that line of when it's not really the CTO's, not jurisdiction anymore, mm -hmm. but yeah. your admin staff kind of have to get involved because now it's like personnel issues. But sure. And Keely, so again, with you coming from the perspective of a director, of someone in leadership, you have a mom in your center, you're, you're seeing this, you're recognizing. Now, here's the deal, you know, uh, unfortunate as it is to say, not every single director is, I mean, I know you personally, so I know the kind of person that you are, and I know you're a very human-centric kind of, of leader, very people-driven and everything. Probably not an issue in the world for one of your people to come to you and say, hey, you know, I'm a mom, I'm struggling. But for other directors and, and deputy directors, how do they do? How, how do you handle that of being supportive, helping to with that support system and making that kind of culture safe? Like we want you to ask for help if you need it. How do you do that as a director? So first, I would like to say that when I started off stepping up through the ladder, the last thing I wanted were the same type of bosses that I had, mm -hmm. right? So just because it was done to us doesn't mean that we have to turn around and say, well, I had to deal with it that way, so now it's your turn. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's always been a big mindset, especially in our line of work, um, is that, you know, it's like, well, I had 17 years before I could have a Christmas holiday off, and that's a true story. It took me 17 years to get Christmas off. Um, <laughs> But that doesn't necessarily mean that we should be continuing that mindset. And I do see, I, I, I don't know if I'm saying her name right, uh, Dennett had said in there about back in the day, everybody was kind of always, you know, it was the village concept. And now it's very much um, center focused on you do what you have to do for yourself and kind of get by. And I agree with that because there was this sort of this 1980s concept where it was like the whole neighborhood was watching your kid and now mm -hmm. you can't trust the neighborhood. 
right? Because we've we've kind of gotten to this place where we can't trust the neighborhood anymore. So now we're leaning very hard on our core group of people. But the problem is we're not asking that core group of people because we don't want to feel like a burden, right? So I run into the same problem in my dispatch center and it it's come up a couple of times where I've had moms, um, even dads who were worried about coming to me with something that was going on at home or worried about something that was going on with their wife, let's say. And I, I can understand that from the perspective of you don't want to look like you're failing. And when we've got this world of social media and everything's in your face and these perfect little mm-hmm. lives and picket fences and the perfect uh, Thanksgiving and fall pictures and the Christmas cards that come out and there's this, this sort of this manifestation of perfection that has come out in social media and it's put this in our faces like, well, if I ask for help, then I'm not doing that correctly. Like I haven't, I'm, I'm failing if I need additional assistance. So I don't know it's that we, we first of all don't trust the village anymore because we can't, but also we're afraid to look like we haven't stepped up to the plate. And as directors, we have to get that in front of us a little bit. And there's, there's times where you may feel like you're overstepping the boundary. And I just recently had this happen. We've got a dispatcher uh, who's going through it right now family member is ailing and he is about to have a baby actually today, today they induced her. Um, so, but he's also going through it, um, with his, his, um, ailing family member. So I had another dispatcher who put that in front of me and here's the thing as a director, I don't know what I don't know. That is a Melissa Alterio quote. Again, I'm saying her name, but I don't know what I don't know. And if you're not telling me as the administrator, I can't put in motion anything to get you that help. So while I understand it may be super uncomfortable or maybe you don't have the support, maybe you don't have the staff, um, you still have to be able to get that in front of somebody who can do something with it and is willing to do something with it. And if they're not call me, I'll do something with it. So <laughs> I, I, I'm serious about that. Like, but I think that it's really important that we understand as leadership that we now have to reach in more than maybe we didn't have to before because everybody was handling it on the side with their own villages. But the thing is, we're their village now. We're the people that are spending time with them, that are spending 12 hours in a center, sometimes 16 for all week. And we have to put that out there to say, I'm a safe space. I am oh, wow. I, I'm, I'm providing the psychological safety for you to come and talk to me and not be afraid. So like in that instance, I had a dispatcher who put something in front of me because she knew I was a safe place, but he didn't, right? Like he didn't know he could do that. He's new. Yeah. Yeah. So I reached out to him and I crossed every line, every barrier. It was like, what do I need for you? How can I help you? What do you need? No, you're not working tomorrow. Did it hinder my staff? Yes, I'm already in a crisis right now. Mm. But I also know that we'll pick up the pieces, right? And if we let each other know that everybody's kind of going through this, it's amazing what happens in a center when one of the members of the team, one of the members of the family, whatever you refer to your staffing level as, um, is is in a in a bad place. They really do step up and help each other because our goal is to help first and deal with the drama later, right? That's what we do. We we mm-hmm. deal with somebody's yelling and screaming and constantly cursing us out on the phone, right? And yeah. then we deal, we process that afterwards. It's the same thing. Like, we'll be like, all right, let me just cover, cover the shift for you. And I'll deal with my fallout on that later. And do they sometimes get mad at me? Yeah. I mean, they're gonna, I mean, that's part of the role as, as a director, right? Is they're not gonna, you're not, you're not gonna be everybody's best friend. And you're not gonna make decisions that are a hundred percent agreed upon and that's okay. But you have to know when to reach in and lend a hand to your people. And you have to be willing to have uncomfortable conversations but provide that space of safety to let them do what they need to do to parent effectively, to be a better human effectively, any of those things. That's all a very important part. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. That space of safety. I love it. And, you know, kind of talking about that, the, the safety, especially the psychological safety, we've got to, we've got to tackle the mental load of of motherhood of juggling it all so uh, marlene i kind of want to start with you 
you think about the mom role when you're already the CEO of your household, you know, you're, you're managing the appointments and the checklist and especially the holiday checklist now in the holiday season, how does that affect your job every day of just the, you know, the, the load of balancing it? What is the mental load that you carry as a mom in 911? And as we've realized the whole thing of checking, check the work at the door or leave it at home, it doesn't, that's not how it works. We bring stuff home. We bring stuff uh, back to work, but how do you deal with that mental overload? And what does that mental overload look looks like for a mom in 911? Um, it's very overwhelming. Um, I know that me personally, and I'm gonna speak for myself, I tend to put it in the back burner. Mm. I tend to put my mental health, any feelings, any anything, I put it on hold mm. because I do what I gotta do. So I'll be completely honest, anything with my mental health or anything like that, it's on hold. If everything's on hold until I can get my son situated, everything work situated, I don't think about it most of the time. It's just like I'm on autopilot 99% of the time. And I'm pretty sure most mothers are just in that. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to work on this. I got to schedule this time off. I got to do swaps. I got to do this. And don't even think about themselves because I, my, me, myself, I'm the last thing I think about. That's uh, and Chris, what what is uh, moving on to you as well? What is your take on the whole mental overload that you experience as moms and I'm? Um, well, I was a very neurotic person before <laughs> I started nine one one, and I was a neurotic person before I started having kids. <laughs> so now it's just kind of exploded a little bit. Um, <laughs> but you know, just like take for example this holiday season. Um. You know, typically I am miss on the ball when it comes to uh, decorations and Christmas events and all this kind of stuff. And just still working full time, having a stepdaughter and a toddler and being so pregnant in the holidays. I was not anticipating this much stress and this much mental load and physical load because I've never had to do this before. So I've had to have some really honest conversations with my husband and my family members going back to the whole no thing, like, this is just going to be an off year for me. Like, I physically and mentally cannot do as much as I typically do. And a couple years ago, that would have been really hard for me to say, and I would have just powered through it. But as I get older, my perspectives are shifting a little bit better. It's easier for me to kind of take a couple things from the mental load and kind of drop it. Like, I've heard Sarah say a bunch of times, we've got the glass balls and the plastic balls and what can we drop and what's allowed to be dropped at that time and mm-hmm. everything. So this, it's a very weird holiday for me because I'm not really used to not being so active and so with everything. And I've had to, yeah, I've had to drop a couple of plastic balls, but I know that next year I'll be back, you know, and, and that's okay. Like I've learned that the world is not going to fall apart just because I may not be doing every single thing and I've had to learn like perspective wise like my daughter's three now do I need the entire house decorated with all of this crazy stuff (laughs) not really I took some construction paper and I made a snowman on her bedroom door and you would have thought that was the best thing for her right and like that's all it took me five minutes and some construction paper and you know so I'm like good I've done my I've done my little holiday thing for her this week like I don't have to you know, do all that picturesque stuff because it's okay. So I've definitely just had to learn, especially this season of my life right now, that Mm -hmm. certain things can be put on the back burner to move forward. Otherwise I'd go crazy. That is, that is. And uh, I want to, okay, we got a good question here that I want to address, Stephanie. I see it and I want it. (laughs) Well, Kelly, we was was coming to you anyway, so it it works out. So Stephanie asked, how do you handle growth in your job amidst all of this, like trying to become a supervisor, attend a special training, or getting your EMP or CP? Mm -hmm. How did you juggle studying and the extra work to help your career grow? Keely, how? How do you do it? So while it wasn't easy, first thing I would like to start back with is the answer is always no, unless you ask, right? (laughs) So some of the things that I I have found in this process is 
there are a lot more open-minded people in the world than we give credit to. So I would like, first, I'm going to start with my CPE since I just finished that in July. Um, I actually reached out to APCO and I told them that I was running into this barrier, right? Like I had actually finished the class back in 2021 and because my director had left and I was stepping into the role and I, I was in this like mental chaotic state where I was picking up budgets and things and had nobody overseeing what I was doing. I was running payroll. I was a mess. Mm-hmm. To say the least, like all of the plastic balls, all of the glass balls, everything fell. <laughs> so in that process, I I reached out to APCO and was like, hey, I'm not able to do this. And they were like, no problem. We'll move you out to another one. And I was like, I can't do January either because that is right in the middle of a school year. Mm-hmm. And that means trying to figure out who's picking up my kid. And now, please understand, I was a single mom for a very long time. So to me, asking my now husband, who wasn't my husband until this past March, to do anything that related to the child that wasn't his mm. hurt me. It hurt me because it felt like I couldn't ask him to do that because it wasn't his role. It wasn't. And don't get me wrong. He is more than willing. He is more than capable. He is a wonderful, supportive human being. But I was terrified to ask that question. Right. Mm. Um, and it felt like I was putting this big like two week hamper because two weeks of CPE away in, in Daytona Beach is a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. So I was really like, how am I going to do this and make this work? So APCA was like, we're going to move you to July and you can figure it out. Um, my, I asked my dad and my dad was like, I'll spend two weeks in Daytona. <laughs> so, but what was funny was in that process, um, speaking with Dr. Steve, he was like, if you need to bring your son to class, you bring him to class. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So APCA realized that they have this whole world of people that they haven't been able to tap into who maybe are having the same trouble as me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when that happened, they were like, there was like, how do we make this work? Like how, like, so Dr. Steve was like, bring him to class, you know? So it's like, if you don't put out there in space, and this goes back to the asking for help and being able to vocalize what you need to make something happen. And that was a big part of that process for me was just taking those steps to be like, look, I really want to do this, but two weeks away from my household is like utter chaos for me. And I mentally can't wrap my head around it. So what I will say is when I got down there, Derek Porch and Dr. Steve both personally thanked my father for coming because they knew that if they hadn't been there, I likely wouldn't have come. But the reality was if they were really willing to let me take him to class, I might have. I might have made that happen. And these are the things it's like, ask the question, Hmm. ask Mm -hmm. for help. Don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to be like, hey, this is what I need. I was doing my ENP. Fortunately, I had a good director at the time. I was Mm -hmm. studying. But the other thing I didn't do was hide my son from it, right? Like, mommy's Mm got to study right now, right? And Mm -hmm. I made him part of the process. I would have him hold up Mm -hmm. cards for me. I would have him be a part of the things that I needed to do to make that happen. The other thing was during the middle of the pandemic, I was the only
Thank <laughs> you.